Well, thank you. It has been a joy to be here at Covenant College. I am really excited about what the Lord is doing here, so thank you for letting me be with you for a few days. I wonder if we could start off by reading a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, Matthew 12, 38 through 42. And the Word of God says this through Matthew. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. God bless his word to us today. There's a place, I don't know if you have a place that you like to go just to get quiet when things are kind of hectic and, and going on around you. Uh, for me, it's a monastery in Kentucky, uh, Gethsemane Abbey, uh, out right out from Bardstown, Kentucky, and I will often uh, go there and just be in the silence walking around the woods uh, around it. And I was there one time a year or so ago, and I thought of a friend of mine who also likes to go to Gethsemane Abbey. So I took my phone, I took a picture, and sent it to him with the words, uh, wish you were here. And the response was, dude, what do you mean? And I looked and noticed that I had taken a picture of the graveyard. <laughs> and so I no, 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 I'm not saying I wish you were dead. I'm saying I wish you were, you know, walking along here with me. And okay. Uh, that sort of a, a thing is what happens in communication all the time. I mean, one of the things that we're doing is reading signs that come from uh, one another, not just in terms of what we're actually saying, but the tone of voice with which something is being said, the body language with which something is being said, uh, the context with which something is being said, and all of that gives us a, a series of signs to be able to piece things together. And often, we don't quite know how to do that. Sometimes we're unsure as to what exactly the signs are that we're picking up. Now, you take that experience that we all have every day and magnify it out to the scope of a human life or to the scope of a human culture, and the importance of that seeking after signs becomes even more important. Because what a person is trying to figure out is, where am I? What's going on? What's the meaning and purpose of my own life? Uh, what is it that I am supposed to be doing here? Who really loves me? Who do I really love? What does it mean to love? I mean, all, all of those questions, we try to look for these uh, signs, even people who have no religious concept whatsoever looking for the signs of where history is moving or the, the signs of how karma is working or something along those lines. That's not a new thing. 
when uh, this passage that we just uh, read a few minutes ago, Jesus is teaching, and you have the religious leaders coming up to him and saying something that he says often, that they say often in the Gospels in some way or the other. We would like to have a sign from you. Now, that's not an unreasonable request at first glance. Someone says, we want to make sure that what you are saying is the truth. We want to make sure that there's no ambiguity as to what you are saying about yourself being reality. Why don't you just show us? And we're at a time right now where often with secularization going on around us, there will often be people who will say, why does God not just give more evidence for Himself? Or why does the church not demonstrate more of a sign of being actually the, the people of God? Th those sorts of questions are good questions. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, not long ago who is an atheist, lifelong atheist, and he said to me, I, sometimes I feel as though I'm envious of those of you who are believers because it's almost as though I'm colorblind and you can see colors that I just can't see no matter how, how hard I try to do it. That, that is in many ways where the entire culture around us uh, is. And at the same time, those of us who are part of the people of God are in this conundrum right now of having high anxiety and tension when it comes to the church and the mission of the church. We, we often are the kind of people who are seeking reassurance and not finding it. Some of you do this personally with, your, with yourselves. Now, I know a lot of people who find it very difficult to believe that they're really loved by God that they're really in Christ. And so what happens with sometimes with that kind of personality is what they want to do is to look back and to find an experience that is indisputable. This proves that I'm a Christian. Or they want to uh, somehow be able to look into their own hearts and, and find a motive that is not mixed in with all kinds of other uh, bad motives, which we have no motives that are not mixed in with those things. So, a lot of times people are absolutely paralyzed there for the same reason that in the medieval church, indulgences paid a really key role for people who wanted reassurance. Uh, I want to be able to know that my loved ones in purgatory uh, have a, a way to be helped. I want to know that, and I can know it by this kind of transaction that you can see and that you can feel. Problem is, when you're moving out into a life in any culture, but in this culture maybe particularly, you're going to find that there are very few signs that are clear and unambiguous. And that leads us often to this point of a kind of longing for something solid. 
Well, Jesus' response to that idea of the looking for signs is, I think, really instructive of what, uh, what our task is in this generation. Jesus doesn't come in and say, look at all the signs I've already given you. Didn't you see Cana? You see these, these places? He doesn't do that. Nor does he come in and say, there are no signs. What Jesus does is to point to the prophet Jonah. Now, for those of you who have spent any time in the book of Jonah, this is not an admirable figure. It, it's, it starts with him running away from his call. It ends with him whining under a tree. It, it, this, is, this is not someone that you really see as this is who I want to emulate. And when you look at the actual uh, text of the book of uh, Jonah, you have somebody who was a scapegoat for seafaring pagans, somebody who ends up in the very uh, belly of death, somebody who is, is in a foreign place giving a witness to what he has been told to say. And you have here something that Jesus says, if you want to know what the sign is, the sign is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he says there are two aspects to that. And I think those two aspects of that are really critical for what it means for us to live as the people of God right now. First of those is the gospel itself. You know, Nineveh, uh, Jonah, when he arrives in Nineveh, nothing impressive about him. He's fish vomit, literally. Nothing impressive about the message that he is giving at all. And he could only come to Nineveh as somebody who had passed through the waters of death himself, had come to this point of desperation where all he could do is cry out, Lord, save me. And so he comes there not as an expert coming to inform the people of Nineveh what, what they must do. Not as a genius who is coming to illuminate the people of Nineveh, but coming as someone who himself has just come through this time of, uh, this time of desperation and this need for his own salvation in order to bring a message. And the message, Jesus says, is not just what he is saying, the message here is exactly what it is that he is living out. So the sign, Jesus says, is just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. The gospel itself as a message of good news, a message that all of the things you're grappling with right now, do I have meaning? Do I have relationship? What do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my regrets? What do I do with my failures? What do I do with the fact that I know myself so well that I, I'm able to say, if anybody else were to really know me, they would hate me. What do I do with that? Well, the message here that Jesus gives is a message of news that comes in and says, Christ crucified for sinners, 
raised from the dead for sinners, an act that took place in history. And what Jesus here is saying is, what he he keeps trying to explain to his own disciples is to say one of the problems that you're going to have in your lives and in your, in your ministries is there's going to be a kind of imposter syndrome where you wonder, am I really the person to be saying this or doing this? And there's also going to be a certain kind of fear, intimidation, Sometimes intimidation of people around you, sometimes intimidation of the culture around you, sometimes intimidation before God himself. And what the gospel of Jesus Christ in the crucifixion and resurrection is telling us is that the worst thing that can possibly happen to you has already happened. There there are many cases where you will worry about something and worry about it, what will happen if I fail that exam? What will happen if I don't turn that paper in on time? What will happen if this person that I'm interested in tells me no? And sometimes, even when you get to the worst possible outcome, you will find that you are relieved. Because I'm not here worrying about it anymore, it has actually happened. Well, take that and and blow those stakes up far higher, and what Jesus is saying is, if you are in Christ, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you has already happened. And the worst thing that can happen to you is not being rejected by someone. The worst thing that can happen to you is not... uh, not getting a job or a career. Worst thing that can happen to you is not getting cancer. Worst thing that can happen to you is being crucified under the curse of God outside the gates of Jerusalem. You have already been there. And so when you start to think to yourself, if people really knew they would know that I'm deserving of hell, When you start to hear that voice of accusation that says, like uh, someone was sending around on the internet the other day, somebody who comes in to grocery store, to the produce section, and takes the bananas and carves out on one of them, I know what you did, leaves it there. Because this person, cruelly, knows that anybody who picks up this bunch of bananas is going to be creeped out And there's nobody who's going to think, I haven't done anything. Everybody's going to think, oh, somebody knows about whatever it is. Fill fill in the blank. What What the gospel does is not to say to you, you are not worthy of condemnation. Gospel says to you in Christ, you have already been through condemnation. All of it has already been received by the Lord Jesus. And in the resurrection from the dead, the best thing that can possibly happen to you has already happened. You're hidden in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. So when God sees you, He does not see this failing, falling, sinful 
person, he sees you exactly the way that he sees Jesus of Nazareth. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus says, that is the sign. There was a a writer, Catholic writer several years ago, who was taking up the question of, is there a future for the church? And he said, if the church is the body of Christ, then this is what that question really is. Is there a future for the glorified humanity of Jesus Christ? And if the answer to that is yes, then there is a future for the church. And we can be freed from that kind of anxiety. But it's not just that. It's not just the the gospel as the sign. He says there's another part to it, which is the witness as a sign. He says, just as the people of Nineveh repented when they heard the, the, the words of Jonah, so will people repent as they hear the advancing of uh, the gospel. Jonah doesn't like that, if you go to the text of Jonah. He actually is upset because what he wants to be is a word of judgment. You people are awful. You people are damned. You people are condemned. Just wait till the judgment of God comes. And if you think about it, every single one of us have the the potentiality for that kind of vindictiveness and bloodthirstiness. A sense of, I told you that this was the case. He has this, and yet when he comes in and actually starts talking about the judgment of God, not dividing it up the way that we often do in terms of either personal sins and morality issues or social injustices, but all of that together, He wanted to be a manifestation of God's wrath against his enemies, and he ends up being a vehicle for transforming the people there with a word of witness. Now, we're at a time right now where it's very difficult to do that when the church is in a cycle of limbic distress. If you're constantly scared by your mission field, or if you're constantly hating your mission field, then ultimately what you are really saying to God is, I deserve a better mission field than the one that you have given me. You chose for me to be born and to be born again at this particular point in history, at this particular time in the life of the church, and I deserve better. And God says, no, I have given you everything that you need to bring your limbic system closer to the mind of Christ, to bring your mission closer to the mission of Christ, and you will see that message going forward, and it transforms things, but it transforms things in a different way than we often expect. Wendell Berry once said, if change is to come, it will have to come from the margins. Because as, as Berry said, it's only the people who know that there's something missing who are able to help everyone find something to look for. 
So Barry said, you notice it's the desert, not the temple, that gave us the prophets. It was the colonies, not the motherland, that gave us John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And this sense of marginality has a way of clarifying what it is that is really real and what it is that has to be stripped away. And if you look at the way that Christianity has engaged with even American culture in, in our own time, every instance in which Christianity has brought about social change from a place of power or majority, prohibition, for instance, has been a disaster. Where are the places where the Christian church has actually brought about change. The founding era of this country where Baptists and, and others were imprisoned for saying religious liberty ought to apply to all people and not just to whoever's the majority. They're not doing that from a place of power. Everyone would have ridiculed that power. They weren't part of the state church. They weren't part of the establishment there. And then you look at the civil rights movement which was able to come in from the complete margins of American life and to have a persuasive voice that was effective precisely because it did not hold anything back and it expected the possibility of actually persuading people to change. Those, those came from the margins. And so, Often when we, when we look at the world around us right now and we start to wonder where do I fit, what, it is that God, what is it that God has, has called us to do, there can be a kind of cynicism that can set in very easily. And it can go in either way. It can be the kind of cynicism that says, I'm just going to give up. Religious people are awful. Religious structures are awful. I'm gone. Or it can be the kind of cynicism that says, this is the way the game is played, I'm going to play it that way. Instead of looking back and saying, what is it that Jesus actually said to us we are put here to do and to be and to bear witness to? And when that happens, there can be a freeing of the cynicism, because we stop looking around for signs, and we instead start bearing witness to the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jonah is a word that means dove. Now, if you think about that imagery of the dove in Scripture, Noah on the ark, the ravens, did not come back. Why didn't they come back? Because there was, there was plenty of dead stuff to scavenge. And sometimes we can take on a sort of raven-like kind of Christian witness in which the way that we are Christian is in order to feast off of all of the decay and despair around us in order to say, look at how awful that is, and look at how awful that is, and look at how awful that is, in a way that Jesus just doesn't give us. Ravens signal death. 
The dove, on the other hand, brings back an olive leaf, a sign here that there's life on the other side of the wreckage, and then ultimately the dove does not return at all, which is not a sign of abandonment. It's a sign that there is a home that has been found, a sign that the bird had found a home, and there's a home that waited for Noah and his crew as well. Jesus goes down into the waters of baptism, sign of judgment. And as he emerges from the water, the Spirit, the Scripture says, comes upon him as a dove, like a dove. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's the sign. That's the sign that we have been given. And so as we move into the next era, we can have this created longing to look for signs and patterns. That's good. But we can be thrown when the signs are confusing, contradictory, manipulated, sometimes dark and foreboding, and you will find a bored and lifeless age chasing after one sign after the other, one illusion followed by disillusion, followed by another illusion, followed by disillusion. But occasionally, sometimes on the other side of that disillusion, there is a moment of such desperation that there's the ability to finally hear a voice with a Galilean accent. There is Finally, the ability to know, behold, one greater than Jonah is here. I was at a place not long ago of great cynicism and I think uh, even numbness. I was looking around at what was happening in in the world and in the church. It happened to be the day that at my church I was baptizing my son, Jonah. We are, we're in a church plant. We baptize in horse troughs that we uh, bring in. And so I was up there, and as I was about to baptize him, immediately what came to my mind is, there will be no sign but the sign of Jonah. And I stepped back and said, here we are right now, with this person that I love with everything that I have, following in the way of Jesus, at the same time as believers all over the world, in Nigeria and Ukraine and South Korea and Micronesia and Brazil are following the exact same sign and right of inclusion into the body of Christ, proclaiming the exact same message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead, in which generation after generation after generation of people start to realize, I am a sinner and that's bad news. The way that I'm going is going to lead to the way of death and that's bad news. But I am given a way to reconciliation with God, a reconciliation with others, a reconciliation with myself, and that is compelling and good news. 
the church has a future because Jesus is alive. Church has a future because we need not look around to the signs of our success to figure out where the trajectory is going. What we need to ask is, where is Jesus Christ and how is he feeling? And that's at the right hand of God, feeling fine. And that's the only sign that we need. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for these men and women. Some of them uh, in this room are at a time of great uncertainty. Um, Some of them are wrestling through right now, what do I do with my life? Some of them are are wrestling through right now people that they they love, that they see in, in dangerous places. Some of them right now are trying to figure out what's wrong with me that I keep repenting of sin and I keep falling again and again and again as though you're surprised by that. Some of them are wondering, what kind of a world am I even going to be living in and what kind of church is even going to be there? Lord, I pray that you would take all of those things off of our minds and that you would give us first and foremost a vision of what it means to be crucified, buried, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, that we would see ourselves hidden in Christ and Christ hidden in God. And help us to walk by faith, not by sight. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.